You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on this four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria Vagrida. Get your own copy of the four volumes from Tan Books and use the code PODCAST15 at checkout and join the online Facebook group to be in a discussion with other members. Today is day number 76, and we are reading from Book 2, Chapter 16, Paragraphs 660 to 666. Chapter 16. Continuation of the history of the Most Holy Child Mary in the Temple. The Lord prepares her for troubles, and Joachim, her father, dies. 660. We left our Sovereign Princess, Most Holy Mary, passing the years of her childhood in the Temple, while we made a diversion to speak of the virtues, gifts, and divine revelations, which she, a child in years, but an adult in supreme wisdom, received from the hand of the Most High, and which she put to practical use in her life. The Most Holy Child grew in age and grace before God and men, but always in such a proportion that zeal exceeded her age. But by the beneficent designs and high purposes of the divinity, whose impetuous currents sought their gathering place and resting place in the city of God, the Most High continued his gifts and favors, renewing every hour the marvels of his powerful arm, as if all its activity were reserved solely for Most Holy Mary. And so well did Her Majesty correspond in her tender age to this divine influx, that she filled the heart of the Lord with a perfect and adequate complacency, and all the angels of heaven were in admiration. The celestial spirits were witnesses of something like a wonderful strife and competition between the Most High and the Child Princess. The divine power, in order to enrich her, daily drawing from his treasures new and old blessings, reserved solely for the purest Mary. And she, as blessed earth, not only causing the seed of the divine word to sprout, and God's gifts and favors to yield fruit a hundredfold, as was the case with the saints, but exciting the admiration of all the heavens, that she, a tender child, should exceed in love, thanksgiving, in praise and all virtues, the highest and most ardent seraphim, without losing time, place, occasion, or any service, in which she did not practice the highest possible perfection. 661. Even in the years of her tender infancy, it was noticeable that she understood the scriptures, and she spent much time in reading them. As she was full of wisdom, she conferred in her heart what she knew from the divine revelations made to her own self, with what is revealed to all men in the holy scriptures. And therefore, in her reading and private meditation, she sent up continual and fervent prayers and petitions for the redemption of the human race and for the incarnation of the word. She read more ordinarily from the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and from the Psalms because the mysteries of the Messiah and the law of grace are more plainly expressed and repeated in these writings. In addition to what she herself understood and comprehended, she extended her knowledge by asking deep and wonderful questions and proposing difficulties to the angels. And many times she spoke of the mystery of the humanity of the word with incomparable tenderness, lovingly wondering that he was to become an infant, that he was to be born of a virgin mother, come to manhood, and other men suffer and die for all the children of Adam. 6.62 In these conferences and questionings, the holy angels and seraphim gave their answers, illuminating her, confirming and inflaming her virginal heart with new ardors of divine love. But they always concealed from her 
her own most high dignity, although she many times offered herself in profoundest humility as a slave to the Lord and to the happy mother whom he was to select for his birth into the world. At other times, interrogating the holy angels, she spoke full of admiration, My princess and lords, is it possible that the Creator himself is to be born of a creature and shall call her mother? That the omnipotent and the infinite, he that has made the heavens and is not encompassed by them, should be enclosed in the womb of a woman and should clothe herself with the limited human nature. He that vested in beauty the elements, the heavens, and the angels is to become a subject to suffering. Is it possible that there should be a woman endowed with our human nature who shall be so fortunate as to be able to call him son who has made her out of nothing and that she should be called mother by him? who is uncreated, and who created the whole universe. Oh, unheard of wonder! If the author himself would not have declared it, how could earthly frailty conceive a thing so magnificent? O miracle of all his miracles! O happy eyes that shall see it, and happy times that shall merit it! To these sentiments and exclamations, the angels would, on their part, respond, explaining these divine sacraments in as far as they did not involve and affect her own self. 663. Each of these high and ardent affections of the humility in the child of Mary was as one of these locks of the spouse or darts of love with which she so wounded the heart of God that if it had not been befitting to wait until she had arrived at the competent and opportune age for conceiving and bringing forth the incarnate word, his delight could not, according to our way of thinking, contain itself and would have assumed humanity at once in her womb. But although she was fit for this mystery from her childhood, as far as merits the grace were concerned, he waited in order to conceal and disguise more effectively the sacraments of the Incarnation, and in order to protect and safeguard the honor of his Most Holy Mother by postponing her virginal parturition to the age approaching that of married women. During this delay, the Lord, according to our concept, entertained himself with the affectionate discourses and love canticles of his daughter and spouse, who was soon to be the worthy mother of the divine word. These canticles and hymns of our queen and lady, as has been shown to me by the special enlightenment, were so many and so exalted that if they were written, the holy church would possess many more than the prophets and the saints have left behind. For she expressed and comprehended all that they have written, and over and above understood and expressed much more than they ever could attain. But the Most High has provided that the church militant should possess abundantly sufficient matter of that kind in the writings of the apostles and the prophets, while his revelations to his Most Holy Mother are preserved and written in his divine mind, afterwards to be made known to the triumphant church, and as far as shall serve for the accidental glory of the blessed. 664. Moreover, the divine condescension yielded to the holy wish of Mary our mistress, that for the increase of her prudent humility— and for an example of her great virtues to mortals, the sacrament of the king should remain concealed, and whenever it became necessary partly to reveal it for the service of his majesty and the welfare of the church. The Most Holy Mary perceived with such heavenly prudence that though she was the teacher, she never ceased to be the most humble disciple. In her infancy, she consulted the angels and followed their counsels, after the incarnate word was born, she looked upon the only begotten as her teacher and example in all her actions, and at the close of his mysterious life, and after his ascension to heaven, the great queen of the universe obeyed the apostles, as we shall relate. 
This is one of the reasons why in the Apocalypse, St. John the Evangelist disguised the mysteries of the Lady beneath such enigmatic words that they can be interpreted and applied just as well to the Church Militant as to the Church Triumphant. 665. The Most High resolved that the plenitude of the graces and virtues of the Princess Mary should, as it were, anticipate the time set for reaching the apex of her merits, and that they should extend to the most difficult and magnanimous undertakings as much as possible, even in her most tender years. In one of the visions in which the majesty of God manifested itself to her, he said, My spouse and my dove, I love thee with an infinite love, and I desire of thee what is most pleasing in my eyes and the fulfillment of all my desires. Thou art not unaware, my daughter, of the hidden treasure, which is contained in hardships and tribulations, so much dreaded by the blind ignorance of mortals. Nor is it unknown to thee that my only begotten, when he shall clothe himself in human nature, shall teach the way of the cross as well as words as in deeds, that he shall leave it as a heritage to my chosen ones, that he shall choose it for himself and establish upon it the law of grace, making humility and patience and suffering the foundation of the firmness and excellence of that law. For this is best suited to the present condition of human nature, and much more so after it has been depraved and evilly inclined by so many sins. It is also conformable to my equity and providence that the mortals should attain and merit for themselves the crown of glory through hardships of the cross, since my only begotten Son is to merit it by the same means in human flesh. Therefore, my spouse, thou wilt understand that, having chosen thee, by my right hand for my delight, and having enriched thee with my gifts, it would not be just that my grace should be idle in thy heart, nor that the love should want its fruit, nor that thou shouldst be excluded from the inheritance of my elect. Hence I wish that thou dispose myself in tribulations and sorrows for love of me. 666. To this proposal of the Most High, the invincible Princess Mary answered with a more courageous heart, then all the saints and martyrs have ever shown in the world. And she said, Lord God and my highest king, all my faculties and their operations and my being itself, which I have received of the infinite bounty, I hold in readiness as a sacrifice to thy divine pleasure, wishing that it be fulfilled entirely according to the desires of thy infinite wisdom and goodness. And if thou give me any freedom of choice in regard to anything, I wish only to choose suffering unto death in love for thee. And I beseech thee, my only good, that thou make of thy slave a sacrifice and holocaust of suffering acceptable in thy eyes. I acknowledge, Lord, powerful and most liberal God, my debt, and that no creature owes to thee so great a return, nor are all of them together so much indebted to thee as I alone, who am so entirely unequal to the task of discharging this indebtedness to thy magnificence. But if thou wilt admit suffering as a sort of return, let all the sorrows and tribulations of death overcome me. I will only ask for thy divine protection, and prostrate before the throne of thy infinite majesty. I supplicate thee not to forsake me. Remember, O Lord, the faithful promises which thou hast made to our ancestors and prophets, that thou wilt favor the just, stand by those who are in tribulation, console the afflicted, and be a protection and a defense to them in their tribulations, True are thy words, infallible and certain are thy promises. The heavens and the earth shall sooner fall to pieces than the words ever should fail. The malice of the creature cannot extinguish thy charity toward those that hope in thy mercy. Fulfill in me thy holy and perfect will. This concludes our reading for today, day 76. 
We read from Book 2, Chapter 16, Paragraphs 660 to 666. Well, this is a quite beautiful reading as we return to the life of Mary in the temple. And we're going to, in these final chapters of Volume 1, so we're almost done with the first volume, three volumes to go, but we'll be accompanying Mary in the temple, and we'll be seeing different events as they now unfold, leading up to volume two. One of the things that I've always thought about and meditated about was Mary pondering the word of God in the temple. And we see that today in our reading, that she read the Holy Scriptures, that she reflected on them, that she offered long prayers of praise and canticles of praise to God, just as Maria says, that she did so that it would be more than all of the saints that ever have lived. And then at the very end of our reading today, we hear that prayer of Mary as she's offering, really making a total oblation, a gift, an offering of herself to Almighty God. And so we're really getting into the spiritual life of Mary in today's reading. It ended with these most perfect words, Fulfill in me thy holy and perfect will. Well, that's what we pray for, that God's most holy and perfect will might be done in our lives. As we look at the person of Mary and her spiritual life today in our reading, maybe we reflect upon our own reading of sacred scripture. Do I read it regularly? Or do I only hear the scriptures as I go to Mass? Today, pick up your Bible and read some of the sacred scriptures. We heard that Mary read Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of the Psalms. Maybe read something today and reflect upon it. And as you do so, think about how Mary also did that in her life. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the mystical city of God. I'm delighted that you joined me today and hope you'll join me again tomorrow. May God bless you and Mary pray for you.